recently heard a story about a, um, a gentleman who took a mission trip to India. And uh, he was going over there to spend several weeks and uh, hook up with this missionary there that, that was already on the ground and, and to work for, for a while. Well, in the midst of his time over there, he got to know some of the people living in the village and uh, got to know them in the, in the town that he was working in. And uh, this one particular family, he, you know, they weren't part of the church, they, they weren't Christians, uh, but they, uh, they became friends and began talking. And one night, this, this gentleman uh, was invited to dinner over to these folks' house. And so he accepted the invitation, and, and, uh, and he showed up to their house that evening, and as he was invited into their home, he, he walks into their main living area, and he was taken aback a little bit. Because what he noticed was on the far wall, uh, on the opposite side of where you walked in, kind of a focal point of the entire room was the shrine that was set up that had these different uh, statues and incense and candles. And uh, it, was, it was just really a shrine. And, and as he looked around the room, he noticed that every single seating place, every single chair uh, in the entire room was centered around this one focal point and it was interesting to him so that next day after dinner and enjoying the meal he didn't feel comfortable asking about it uh, at the time but he went back to his missionary friend that he'd been working with all week and, and asked him he, he described what he saw and, and asked what that was and he says well that is uh, that, that's a that's their idol that's that represents their god it was, a, it was a shrine that was set up to honor and worship their God. And that's, it, he was just, he was stunned. He, was, he just didn't realize in his Americanized world that idol worship literally continued around in other places in the world that way. And it just really weighed on his heart. So the day came for him to head home. And this just continued being a thought of his. It's like, I can't, I just have a hard time grasping that people in the world still literally practice idol worship and, and worship gods in that way. And uh, he gets home and he lands and, and he takes his car home to his family and he finally arrives after a long journey and he's exhausted and he can't wait to see his family and, and all the other thoughts kind of pass away. And he, he walks into his house and his kids run up to hug him and his wife and they, they have a greeting time and they spend a little time together. And that's when he noticed he was looking at his main living room and every seat in the room was focused on this point on the wall on the other side of the room. It was sort of a shrine. It's an electronic shrine nonetheless that we know as television. But it struck him that we can look down our noses all we want at other cultures and idol worship that we consider strange or unusual to us. But is it possible that we're idol worshipers too? Interesting question, isn't it? Are you an idolater? Are you an idol worshiper? Look at with me at Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verses um, 3 and 4, give us the first two commandments that were handed down from God to Moses. And then the next couple of verses kind of elaborate on those first two commandments. Let's read it together. It says this. It says, 
you shall not have other gods before me. Commandment one, right? You shall not have other gods before me. Second commandment is this. You shall not make for yourselves an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Now, we, you've, most of you, I'm sure, have heard the Ten Commandments, and you know, thou shalt not worship other gods, thou shalt not make idols. What those first two commandments are. I find the next two verses interesting, though. Look at what it says. It says, you shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing the children of, for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation, to those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. I, I really want to focus on that word jealous for a second. Jealous is, is, is an interesting word because we kind of, I think in, in a lot of ways we kind of associate that with a, a pettiness in our own lives when we talk about someone being jealous. You know, we talk about a, a lack of trust. Uh, we talk about maybe uh, someone who is insecure, experiencing a lot of jealousy. Now, sometimes jealousy is, is justified. But we kind of have made that word something that's a little bit negative. When you describe someone as being jealous, that's kind of a negative. That we're, and and I, I, want, I want you to think about this way. That word used here uh, that's translated into our English word jealous could have easily, just as easily been translated to the word zealous, starting with a Z. And that, to me, when I think of it in that way, it gives me a little broader understanding of what God was saying when he says, I, the Lord, am a jealous God. I'm a zealous God. And I want you to think for a minute about what he's saying here. God is telling us that he's not interested in being a part of your life. He's not interested in being a part of your life. He wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants to be the object of your worship. He doesn't want to be the first on a list of many things in your life. He wants to be the center of everything you do, everything you say, everything you love, and, and everything you are. When we stand in front of the church, and I want, I'm wondering how many of us have stood in front of this church or another one and said, recited that confession of faith. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and I accept him as my Savior and my what? And my Lord. And I'm guessing that a majority of you, whether it's at this church or another, have stood up and made that public confession of faith, if not once, multiple times in your life. But I wonder if you've ever really thought about, and I'm sure you have, but today I'm going to challenge you to do it some more, is to think about really what you're saying there. When you say, I want you, Jesus, from this day forward, to be the Lord of my life, not just to come in and be a part of my life, but to be the center of everything I do, to be the one that drives every decision I make, to be the one that, that the love for my family and the love for everybody else in my life flows through. Have you, I'm not asking if you've made the statement in front of a church before. I'm asking you on a personal level in your heart, have you made Jesus the Lord of your life? Anything else that captures our heart and our love and our worship is in direct competition with God. 
and that's not okay with him. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. What are you saying? We can't love things? No, that's not what we're saying. Anything that captures this position in your life as number one, as the center, as the focal point, as the object of worship for you, whatever that is, that is direct competition with God and it is not okay with him. If you're honest with yourself, idolatry is a sin that you struggle with. And I do too. Maybe, maybe the object of your worship is money. Maybe it's success and achievement. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's a person that you love, a, a spouse, your kids. Maybe it's pleasure or entertainment. Maybe it's alcohol or, or tobacco or some other substance that has you drawn in. Let me ask you this objectively. Don't you think there's a reason the first two commandments dealt with this? Don't you think it says something when God chose out of only ten commandments that he was going to hand down, the first two of them dealt with idolatry. He knows that idolatry is the one sin that really roots and springs forth to all the others. It is the one temptation that every single one of us struggles with. It is the one sin that we all fall into. When we're not paying attention, there are things that creep into our lives and begin to rise in importance until they become gods and they begin to compete with the Lord God for control of our hearts and our lives. I want you to write this down. Idolatry is an undiagnosed cancer that is spiritually fatal if not removed. Idolatry is an undiagnosed cancer that is spiritually fatal if it's not removed. Today, we're going to continue, and, and if you're new with us or haven't been here for very long, we've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount. And today, we are in the middle of chapter 6. We're, we're a little past halfway through it. But as we're marching through this today, we're going to take a look at some things Jesus had to say. And really, it all comes back to idolatry. We're going to deal, see how Jesus deals with it. We're going to see Jesus challenge his followers, his disciples, with the idea that being a child of God is much more than just acting religious. It is much more than just going to church. Being a child of God means that God is the Lord of your life and nothing else in your life is going to come between you and him. Now, I want to give you this disclaimer before I move on in this message today. I want to be very careful in making clear to you that the things that we're going to talk about today, the things that I'm going to challenge you to think about, maybe these things have become idols in your life, are not bad in and of themselves. They're not evil things. Okay? No matter what it is, we, I won't say whatever, but most of the stuff we're going to talk about today, in and of themselves, are not bad things. And are obviously, loving our families and, 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 and our entertainment and our pleasure and, and uh, the things that we enjoy and sports and, and uh, electronics or whatever it is, money, success, achievement, Whatever it is that, that has the potential in your own heart to rise up as, as a God. Today, I'm not going to tell you that those things are bad and you've got to get rid of them. What I'm going to ask you to do is examine, do they have the right place in your life? Or have they risen above that place to become an idol? 
to become an object of worship for you. That's what Jesus wanted to deal with his disciples, and that's what we're going to deal with today. So as we talk about these things, I just want to make sure you understand we're not talking about bad stuff that you got to get rid of. We're talking about putting God on the throne of your life where he belongs, and that's the question. The big question for you today is this. Is God the Lord of your life, or are you expecting him to be okay with sharing that title? Is God the Lord of your life? Or do you expect that he's going to be okay with sharing that title in your life? And so I want to ask that question. What is your God? What is your God? And that's what Jesus really is asking us today. When we look at this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Let's look at these first three verses. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Here's what it says. It says, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also and here's the first thing i want you to write in here the first thing i want you to think about this is what you value reveals your true god what you value reveals your true god and here are a few questions that i want to challenge you to ask yourself I want to challenge you to ask yourself on your own. You can do it now in your own quiet time this week. But ask yourself these questions that, can, that, that help you identify some things that maybe you need to examine to see if it's possible that they have or might be something that rises to the level of idolatry in your life. And I'm not necessarily saying it is now, but is it something that has captured your heart to the point? Is it something that's so important to you? Is it something that's so much a treasure for you that if it were totally destroyed and taken from you, that it would rip your life apart? That it would totally destroy you? That it would cause you to maybe even lose faith in your God? Has anything taken that place? Here's a few questions I want you to think about. First of all is this, on what do you spend your money Look at your bank statement. If you want to know, if you want to know some of the things that you value most in your life, the things that maybe have the biggest potential to become gods and idols in your life, take a look at your checkbook, your bank statement. What do you spend your money on? Here's another thing you can do. What do you find yourself daydreaming about? What distracts you? What, what gets you to drift away to that happy place? It's not a bad thing to have that happy place. Mine's on the beach right now. <laughs> but is it possible that whatever that is, that whether it's a material possession, whether it's a relationship, whatever it is, that's that thing that you drift off to, is it possible it's rising or could rise to the level of being a God in your life, a, an idol? Another question you can ask yourself is, what is the one thing that you most fear losing or would hurt the most if it were taken away from you? What's that one thing that would most hurt if it were taken from you or if you lost it or if it were destroyed? And finally, you can ask this question, what causes you to worry the most? What causes you to worry the most? That's probably going to help you identify something. Again, None of these things that were going through your mind, my guess is, or at least most of them, aren't bad things, aren't evil things. But they don't belong on the throne of your life as Lord. They're good, but they're not God. 
And I wonder when you self-examine if you can look and say, what is it that I value the most? Jesus parallels this thought that he shares right here about treasure on earth and in heaven. He parallels that thought in Matthew 16. Verses 24 through 26, when he says, Then Jesus says to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life from me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? And what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I, I don't know if you've seen this. Some of you might if you um, or frequent like Facebook or YouTube or anything like this on the internet. But there's a video that's been floating around out there. That it it, it kind of is funny and it's sad at the same time. But it's this, it's this boy who comes in, it's a video, and this boy comes into his bedroom and all of his video games are gone. Okay, and he starts freaking out. He's like, and I mean, and when I say freaking out, I mean, don't watch it because it's not edited. And, uh, and he starts, and he's really angry, and he knows his dad has taken him, and his brother's the one filming and kind of laughing the whole time and following. Well, he goes out into the yard, and out in the backyard, his dad is sitting on the riding lawnmower, and in front of him is a big, giant pile of video games. And the son goes ballistic. Don't you dare run over my video games. And he's just going nuts. And dad, uh, dad says, I'm tired of this being everything to you. You never leave the house. You never do. And so he turns on the mower and he runs straight over the pile of video games and destroys them. And the, <laughs> the funniest part is the son has a complete meltdown. I mean, right there. I mean, this is probably a 17-year-old kid just melts down right there in the yard screaming and crying and and you watch it, and it's on one hand, it's kind of funny. But on the other hand, it's kind of sad. But as I looked at it, and I began thinking about it, I couldn't help but to step back and say, you know, maybe, maybe there are some things in my life that I would act the same way about. Maybe not act out in that same way. But <laughs> I'll have to think about that one. But, but would hurt me inside just as much. I wonder, I wonder what some of those things are for me. If I'm com completely honest, I know there are a handful of things that I think about. Like, for instance, and, I, and I don't, not just, I'm not saying this just because I'm the preacher here and I'm supposed to say it, but, but it would be real easy for the success of this church to become a guide for me. Uh, I'm that passionate about it, and it draws that much of my attention. It would be real easy for my wife and my kids to become a guide to me. Now, of course, we're supposed to love our wife and our, and our husbands and our kids, but they're not God. They don't, they, they never were intended to, they were never given to me so that they could sit on the throne of my life. You know what I'm saying? And I could make this list go on. For time's sake, I won't. But I know there are things in my life when I start asking some of those questions and I start examining, there are things in my life that if they aren't already, they run the risk of becoming idols to me. When I think about it, I, I'm an idolater. I am. And God is not okay with sharing the throne of my life with anything else. 
And I just wonder when you start asking yourself these questions, what is it that you value most in your life? And are you willing to examine whether or not they've taken the place of God on the throne of your heart? It's a pretty important question to ask. Let's look at the next couple of verses and what Jesus has to say here on the Sermon on the Mount. And I'll just say this before I read it. Uh, This section right here doesn't seem to, on the surface, seem to fit in very well with the rest of the thought. But it does. And so I want to make sure we understand and we don't miss what Jesus is saying here. In 22 and 23, he says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And here's what I want you to write down. What you see reveals your true God. What you see reveals your true God. Let me explain what that means a little bit. Uh, Christian artist Michael W. Smith, one of my favorite uh, Christian artist growing up, has a song that I think describes these verses perfectly. I love this song. It's called Come See. I just want to read you a little bit of the lyric of, uh, of this song because I think it just describes what, what, what I mean when I, when, or what Jesus meant and what I mean when I say what you see reveals your true God. His lyric says, Come see. Come see with spirit eyes. Come see. The door is open. Come near, come weary and ashamed, come near, his arms are open. Come live, come live in freedom here, come live, the chains are broken. Come rest, come take his gift of grace, come rest, the word is spoken. Come see, come see with spirit eyes, come see the door is open. Come home, come lay your burdens down, come home, his arms are open, his arms are open. See, I think in these verses, Jesus is obviously not talking about the health of your physical eyes. He's talking about the way you see the world and the way you see God. When you learn to see with spirit eyes, you see things the way God sees them, at least as much as we possibly can. You understand that when things go wrong, maybe God has a bigger plan. You understand and and you begin to trust that when God works, he's working all things for the good of those who love him. You begin to see things based on the value of of spending an eternity with God, not just on what is happening here and now and what we can see with our physical eyes, not just on what we see right around us right this moment and how we feel about it. We begin to see things with these eternal eyes, with a vision that says, I'm not home here. My home is in heaven with him. And my real life begins in eternity with him. And when we begin seeing life that way, I wonder what it would be like if you started looking at your money with spirit eyes. I wonder what it would look like if you started seeing your family with spirit eyes. 
I wonder what would change if you started seeing your job or your material possessions or your finances or your relationships or your success and even your entertainment. If you started seeing those things with spirit eyes, with a view of an eternity with God. The eyes through which you see the world say a lot about who or what is the Lord of your life. Let's look at the very last verse of this section of scripture today that Jesus is in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 24. He says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And here's the last truth I want to give you this morning, is what you serve reveals your true God. What you serve reveals your true God. Now I want you to note this. Jesus is not saying that God and money have a mutually exclusive relationship where one cannot coexist with the other. He's not saying that you can't have money and have a relationship with God at the same time. He's not saying that. What he is saying is this. He's saying that you can't have both of them as the center and the most important thing in your life. I find it interesting that in this last verse, it's the first time in this section of Scripture that Jesus specifically refers to money. Most of us know about Luke 18 and and the story of the rich young ruler. Right? And the rich young ruler comes to him and says, what must I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus tells him, you know, follow the commandments. Well, I'll do that. Well, give away everything. That's one more thing you got to do. Give away everything you own and give it to the poor. Rich young man goes away sad. He's not willing to do it. And what Jesus realized was that young man had a God in his life he wasn't willing to let go of. He wanted Jesus to share the throne of his life. Jesus turns to his disciples at that point and says, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. He wasn't saying money is evil. What he was saying was money so easily becomes a God in our life. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And I think what Jesus is trying to get at here and with his story in Luke 18 and, 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 and what's been written here in 1 Timothy is money is not evil or bad. But Jesus talks about it so much because he knows what a huge stumbling block it is for so many people. So many want to say, well, yes, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. But money and finances and material wealth are really the things that they're serving in their life. Here's my question for you today is what are you serving in your life? Are you obsessed with with retirement and, and building your wealth? Does your love for your family become so obsessive that you spend all of your time serving them and there's no time left for God? Does your drive for success cause you to serve your job, your career over everything else? Listen. What you serve clearly marks what has your heart. And a jealous God will not stand for being anything else in your life than the Lord of it. God will not share the throne of your life 
a choice must be made. Now, the whole idea of modern idolatry is such a big and important topic. I'm actually wanting to kind of throw this in front of you because I don't think it's one thing that we can deal with in one sermon today. This whole concept of of what idolatry does to us, how it gets its grip on us and takes a hold of us and moves us from here to a place that we never thought we would be. Idolatry is so destructive. I don't think I'm exaggerating when I said it's a cancer that leads to spiritual death if it's not dealt with. So in response to that, we're going to do a sermon series starting on September 13th about a month and a half from now, called God's at War. It's going to be a five-week series we're going to do. It's going to be based on Kyle Eidelman's book, God's at War. If you want to get that book and read it ahead of time, that'd be great, because a lot of what we're going to do during those five weeks is going to come out of there and be based on some different things. But we're going to do this series of sermons that really deals with modern-day idolatry. And we're going to take what I've talked about today to a whole different level. And we're going we're gonna to deal with it in some different areas of your life because idolatry isn't something that just attacks us once, 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 or in one little place. Idolatry attacks us in every area of our life every day. And when we start being aware of it, when we stop pretending that idolatry is just something that happens in a third world nation to people who've never heard and don't know any better, and start realizing that God gave the first two commandments to deal with idolatry because he knew it was going to be the one thing that captured our heart. When we start looking at that and realizing it, we can start identifying the areas of our life where idolatry is real and it's alive and drawing us away from him. And we can start addressing it. So I just wanted to prepare you for that. Read the book if you want. You don't have to. But uh, we're going to hit on that starting September 13th. I'm excited about it. Today... We're going to end our, our service with giving you a chance to respond to what you've heard. We're going to sing a song, and you can stay seated and pray if you like. You can stand up and sing as loud as you can if you want. You can come forward. One of our prayer partners will be happy to meet you down here and pray with you. Uh, maybe there's a decision that needs to be made. Maybe God hasn't been the Lord of your life, and you're ready to change that. If you want to come talk to one of us down here in the front, we'd love to start that conversation with you, to talk to you about what it means to make God, the, Jesus, the Lord of your life, what it means to be obedient to him, talk to you about why we practice baptism and why that's such a, a, a focal point for our coming before him and joining him and showing that before the world. I want to have that conversation with you if you know it's time to make Jesus the Lord of your life. It's the only position in your life that he'll accept taking. Anything less. Anything less is just practicing religion. And guys, we can't save ourselves. So as we sing this song here in just a moment, respond how you need to. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you so much for your word and your son, Jesus, and and this message that he gave in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, talking to us about, and, and talking to his disciples about what it really means to be a child of God, not just to, to follow and practice some kind of religion, but to really know what it is to, to have a heart for God, to, to, to live for him, 
with everything we have. And God, right now, I pray if there's someone in this room that needs to respond, maybe for the first time they want to give their life to you. Maybe, maybe it's time to recommit, refocus, and they just want to pray with somebody about that. Maybe they want to join this church and say, I need a church family to hold me accountable. God, whatever it is, however they need to respond, God, I pray that we will all respond to this message from your word today. God, let your spirit speak to us. Help us see with spirit eyes. In Jesus' name, amen.